So uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, and let me talk to you a little bit about making disciples. That's really what we've been doing. That's why I had both Lynn and Jen come. We wanted to honor Jen, but also with Lynn. And I want to talk to you about making disciples. We've been learning how to make disciples because, as you guys know, and I'll go through this really quick, but Matthew 28, Jesus commands us. He calls us, every believer, to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, sometimes the big vision of that is literally all nations, every people group. But we've been learning it really comes down to the nations for you and me are the people right there in front of us. The one person right there in front of us, our neighbor that we're to love and to bless. And so the Lord's been calling us as a church and showing us from the word that making disciples is really as simple as becoming friends with people and seeking to love them, serve them, and bless them. And what making disciples looks like is it looks like building eternal redemptive friendships. It's not about making converts, getting notches in our belts. It's not about manipulating people or uh, assimilating them or, or uh, whatever. It's none of those things. None of those things, we, and plus none of those things we're interested in, right? What burns in all of our hearts is to simply give to people, as Lynn said, what God has given to us, to love them as God has loved us. And, and that's really what it means to make disciples. We believe that we were created by God and that he saved us by his son, ransomed us from, from death and sin and all that fun, horrible stuff. And then that we're called to simply do the same thing, to join him on that search and rescue mission. And um, so this is what we've been learning. We've been learning how to build those friendships. We've been learning how to bless people. And then I've been challenging you that from 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says to the disciples uh, and to us, he says, be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. If somebody asks you, why do you believe? Why are you different? Why don't you get mad? You know, if she were to ask, Darren, why are you different? Darren would say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. The Lord wants us, and we need, but really we need it because other people need it. Other people need us to have a reason for the hope that we have, to really own our own faith and be able to communicate it. And I've been challenging you over the last few weeks. Really, all that looks like is walking with people in friendship and pointing them to Jesus, journeying with them, guiding them to Jesus. And I challenged you that no matter where somebody is on their spiritual journey, you can plant a seed in their life. See, not everybody is going to be the Lynn Allen in your life. Not everybody, you're going to, bam, just lead them to Jesus like that. Now, I, I would pray that we could, but not everybody is going to be there. Some people, they're gonna, they're, you're only going to be in their life for a short period of time, and maybe you'll just get to plant a seed because they're not interested yet. But they'll always remember you, whether you know it or not. They'll remember you as one who lived it and who encouraged them and pointed them that, in that direction. Uh, many of us, we play different roles in people's lives. Other people, you may be that person who watered it and really helped them to come to the Lord. But I believe that as you and I journey with the Lord, some people will plant seeds, some people will water, but some people, we get to lead them to Jesus and even more than that, disciple them as they keep growing in the Lord. And that's fun. But we want to be a part of all of it. So remember, where we're at on the journey no matter where they're at on the journey, we need to be ready. And we've talked about being ready to plant that seed in their life. One of the best ways is by sharing your testimony. Either your testimony of how you came to the Lord or just even what God's doing in you right now or some, somebody got healed and so you boast about that. And so we've said, can you share your story in three sentences? You could expand it to two minutes or so, but can you share your story in three sentences? If you don't know what I mean by that, there's a, there's a piece of paper in the back that you can grab and you can actually write your testimony in or your story in three sentences. Then we talked about sharing the gospel, and I said, look, we just need to know how to lay it out. 
Okay? And like Lynn said, I never really did anything like a drawing. Well, yeah, you may never use the model I give you. I, I've got, again, in the back, if you, if you don't know how to share the gospel, real quick in the back. But you may never do it that way. That's not the point. The point is I gave you a model, and I gave you something real simple that you could share the gospel. And I went over a few ways that you could do it because I wanted to give you a couple different scenarios and different ways that I've shared the gospel in formal and informal settings. But the call is simply that. Are we ready? Are we walking with people in friendship? Are we praying like Lynn encourages? Are we listening to the Spirit? And are we ready to guide them or point them to Jesus? And so are we ready for wherever they might be at on the journey? Now think about uh, Philip. We've been talking about Philip. Not the Apostle Philip, but the Philip that came to the Lord in the book of Acts, remember, and he led the Ethiopian to the Lord. This is the story that we've been going over. God had the, uh, Philip go down a road, and he saw up ahead a chariot. A guy was riding on a chariot, and the Holy Spirit said, go over and basically go over and, and talk to that guy. He goes over, and he hears the Ethiopian reading from the book of uh, Isaiah, reading the Bible. And, I, and, and Philip just simply asked a great question that, honestly, you could utilize even in your own life. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? You can do that. You could say, anyone ever told you how much God loves you? Why Jesus died for you? You can ask questions like that that just open up conversation. Well, here's a guy who's obviously ripe, you know, open, ready, wants to come to Jesus, but he's, he just doesn't know about Jesus. And he's reading Isaiah, and, 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 and Philip just says, do you, know what, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, I don't know. I need someone to guide me. And right there, Philip walks the Ethiopian through the Bible, right there. He just, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that right there, starting with Isaiah 53, by the way, it wasn't called Isaiah 53 back then. There had no chapters and verses. But uh, what we call Isaiah 53, right there it says that beginning with that scripture, he walked the Ethiopian through the Bible and showed that Jesus had to die and rise, that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, and King. And the Ethiopian had his heart opened up because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. And he says to Philip, I, can I be baptized? And, he, and Philip said, if you believe in your heart, you know, if you fully believe that Jesus is Christ, I do. So that he got baptized right there. Philip led him to the Lord, but why? He had to show him from the Bible. Where did Philip learn that? Just think about that for a second. Philip is just the average Joe. He's not a rabbi. He's just the average churchgoer who was discipled in Jerusalem. And you can read about it in the early part of the book of Acts. Where did he learn to walk people through the Bible like that? Well, think about it. Philip got saved in Jerusalem. And what, it is, what does Acts 2 say about that Jerusalem church? Think about the revival that that church was experiencing, the first church, if you will, right? First 3,000 people got saved in one day, but that church grew to close to 12,000 people. And it says in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to prayer, to the fellowship. That church, man, they were filled with the Spirit, weren't they? People were getting filled with the Spirit and moving in the power of the Spirit. People were gathering in communities all over, probably every day they were getting 
encourage one another, whether in their home or in the temple. They would pray, they would worship, they would have meals together, they would talk about the Bible. And every one of those disciples, they were being discipled by the apostles. The apostles were teaching them the word, were they not? It says that in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. So the, the church in the book of Acts, they were on fire, filled with the Spirit, fellowshipping. And what was the result? If you read in the book of Acts, it says people were coming to Jesus every day. Every day. Why? Because people were inviting them to their home groups. They were sharing the Lord with people. The power of God was evident. Whoa, that was, wow. I don't know, that was. Wow. I'm pretty sure that was uh, just the feedback, but that was pretty awesome. Okay, that scared me. Uh, do, do you see what I'm saying? The church in Jerusalem, we look to that and say, man, that was revival. We look to that. Philip was raised in that environment. You see? Why is it that in Acts chapter 8, when there's persecution and all these disciples get spread out, I'm going <laughs> to use my hands, uh, when they were all spread out, guess what they did? Not just Philip, not just Philip. All the believers who got scattered went back to their hometowns, back to synagogues, and shared Jesus and led people to Jesus. We know that the church in Rome, we have no record of Paul ever making it to Rome before there's a church there. Later, he went to Rome as a prisoner. The church in Rome happened because people went from Jerusalem who were saved and went up to Rome and led them to Jesus. The church of Antioch, if you read the book of Acts, the church of Antioch, which was an awesome church, was just some random guys from Jerusalem who thought, hey, maybe we should share the gospel to, to people who aren't Jews either. They, they crossed cultural barriers and went to Antioch and said, let's share the gospel with people who are Greek. And, they, and tons of people got saved in Antioch. They, this wasn't people, they, they weren't ordained. They weren't experts or professionals. They were just tr people who were living their life. Like Lynn was talking about, people who were moving because they were going back to their hometown or they moved because of trade, and they just found themselves sharing the gospel. That's literally how the gospel spread through the known world. There, we, we know by the time of Constantine, Constantine like, didn't like make people become Christians. Millions of people were already Christians, even though Christianity was uh, being persecuted before the time of Constantine. Millions of people were coming to Jesus. Did it happen through crusades? Did it happen through a Billy Graham? No. It happened through house churches, through people telling other people about Jesus and their workplace. And this is under persecution. They had to do it. Those of you know about the Chinese church, even though China, the Christianity was made illegal and, and their pastors and their missionaries thrown into camps in China about 100 years ago. Yet the Christian church in China has exploded. Why? The normal people sharing the gospel. Now, how does that happen? How did a Philip learn to do that? He learned it because he was discipled. He learned it because he was discipled. See, discipleship always leads to people being discipled. I'm sorry, discipleship always leads to people making other disciples. If you think about it, Matthew 28 is the end of the gospel of Matthew. It's the commission. It's both to us and about us, right? Go and make disciples, which means we are to be discipled, but also go and make disciples. Healthy things reproduce. The sign that people are being discipled effectively is that they begin to reproduce naturally. That they go and make disciples. That's what you see in Philip. I think it's a beautiful example of the fruit of a church that's filled with the Spirit. Of a church that's being discipled. 
of a church that's devoted to the Word and devoted to fellowship. See, why? Why do we hear the Word? Why do we come every Sunday? Why do we go to life groups? Well, I do it because I need it. I do it because I, I, do it because I want to hear the Word. I do it because I need to grow. I do it because I... Yeah, yeah, it's true. You do it. You come and you fellowship because you need it and you need the encouragement. And you come and you hear the Word because you need the Word. I mean, when Jesus says, teach them... Right, Matthew 28, go make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. People will say, I already heard that sermon. Yeah, but are you doing it? So we all need more discipleship because Jesus said, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. So until you're doing all that he has commanded you, you still need to hear it. Right? It's hilarious, isn't it? People say, I already heard that one. Such a deception, isn't it? A lot of times they're not doing it. We all need discipleship, but listen, you're hearing the word today, not just for you. Every Sunday you come and hear the word. Every time you go to a life group, every time you spend time with Jesus, it's not about you only. Because what you have freely received, you are to freely give. Every time you come and hear the word on a Sunday morning, here's why people get bored sometimes with Christianity. They're not giving. If you are on the front lines and you know I'm a minister of the gospel everywhere I go. People need Jesus. Therefore, man, I, what happens is you realize, I need to get filled with the Spirit. See, a lot of times people are not hungry for the filling of the Spirit. They don't see the relevance of being baptized in the Holy Spirit because they're not givers. Because the only reason to be filled with the Holy Spirit is for the power and the boldness to give it away. So why would you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit if it wasn't for others? See, discipleship that does not include making disciples is truncated, isn't it? And when we lose that sense of ministry, and I'm talking about, you know, maybe serving at this church and doing kids' ministry. I'm talking about in your workplace or in your neighborhood. I'm talking about ministry in all of its facets, caring for one another. What I'm saying, though, is when you come and hear the Word, you should be receiving it for yourself. You know, don't be thinking about just the guy next to you no, think about yourself, but don't just think about yourself. What you have freely received, freely give. So always hear the word. Always have a hunger for reading the Bible or listening to sermons or praying, worshiping, praying in the Spirit, spending time with God, fellowshipping with other believers, because you need it, but because the world needs it. Amen? Because Jesus said, if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? We have to stay salty. We've got to stay fresh and, and I'm not even sure if that's a good metaphor, but we need to stay salty. We need to stay filled with the Spirit. We need to be discipled. But don't you find it interesting that Philip, he knew how to lead someone to Jesus from the Word. Isn't that interesting? He knew the Old Testament Scriptures. Where did he learn that from? Very specifically, we know he knew how to heal people and get them delivered from demons because I'm telling you, Philip was just on his way back home. The Bible says they got scattered, right? And Philip's like, I'm just going to go to Caesarea, which is north. So I'm going to head north. And he's going through Samaria. And he just, oh, there's some demons to cast out. Oh, there's some sick people to heal. Would you guys like to know Jesus? No, I mean, I'm, honestly, I really think Philip just wanted to get home. He just wanted to get to Caesarea. And he's just heading to Caesarea. And all of a sudden, bam, there's this revival in Samaria. And then he's like, okay, now I'm going to go home. I'm going to get to Caesarea. I'm going to go see my family. I'm off to Caesarea. And the angel says, no. Go down the desert road. Like the desert road? What, are you going to kill me? I don't want to go down the desert road. There's nothing down there. So he turns south 
to head down this desert road towards Egypt and Ethiopia. And he's thinking, like, there ain't nothing down here. And that's when he runs into the Ethiopian. The Holy Spirit says, go up to that guy. He would have never known, right? The moment he leads the Ethiopian to the Lord, what does the, the Holy Spirit do? Boom, it's the first teleportation in the Bible. He gets teleported. I don't even know if that's what you're supposed to call it, right? He gets, he gets snatched from that location, and he ends up in a city just near Caesarea, and he walks, and last, next time we see him in the Bible, he's in Caesarea, which is where he lived. He's like, finally, I get to go to Caesarea, right? You know, a lot of times the Lord has that for us, just doing different things. But how is it that Philip knew to lead this guy through the Bible? Well, he learned it from the apostles, didn't he? He learned it from the apostles who taught him from the Bible, Back then, they only had the Old Testament. Well, where did the apostles learn it from? Very clearly in Acts chapter 1, it says that Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection hanging out with not probably not just the 12, but the other 120 disciples. And it says, explain to them all the things about the kingdom. So now, you know, like when you read in the Gospels, they were like all the time, like, I don't get it. You know, right? All the time in the Gospels, like, I don't get it. But after the resurrection, Jesus really made sure that they could understand it. And they had these born-again spirits so they could understand it. But if you go backwards to Luke 24, I love it. Because in Luke 24, Jesus is walking with two guys from, on the road to Emmaus. They're coming from Jerusalem, they're going to Emmaus. And they're super depressed. It's the resurrection Sunday. It's, you know, uh, it, it's Sunday. Jesus is risen from the grave, but they don't know it. And they're super depressed. They're just like, man, Jesus died. And some of these women, which we don't really believe, testimony because we don't really believe women, say that, 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 that they saw Jesus, so they're probably crazy. And... And then, then Jesus walks right up to them, and they don't even know it's Jesus. Remember, remember the story, the road to Mace, Luke 24? And he's walking along, and he says, man, why are you guys so down? You know, what's going on? And they're like, dude, do you live in a corner? Like, what's wrong with you, you know? We thought Jesus was the Messiah. Didn't you know about this man, Jesus? And he died on the cross. We thought he was the Messiah, and our women are crazy, think he's alive. And he literally turns to them and says, Jesus says to his, these two guys on the road to Mace, they're, they're not two of the 12, they're just two disciples. And he goes, man, you guys are slow. He calls them slow. I'm telling you. He calls them slow. You can read it in the Bible. He says, man, you guys are slow. And then it says he opened the scriptures to them. Now listen, he did not have a Bible with him. And they had, they're Jews. They had already memorized the Bible. So it doesn't mean that he taught them something they didn't know. Jesus, in Luke 24, it literally says he opened the scriptures. And then later it says that, that he did the same thing with the 11. What it means is that he explained. It says that he started with Moses, which is Genesis, and went all the way through the prophets, which is Malachi, and literally showed them where he was in the Old Testament and how he had to die and rise. He preached himself to them from the Old Testament. That's Jesus' way of teaching. Let me show you from the Bible. And then he taught his disciples, and then guess what the disciples taught the disciples how to do that? And what did Philip do with the Ethiopian? Oh, I know that scripture. You see what I'm saying? The Ethiopian is reading Isaiah 53, and Philip goes, oh yeah, I know that one. Because Peter taught me that. Peter told me that, 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 the whole, that that's about Jesus dying and rising. Let me explain it to you. And let me show you it in Moses. And let me show you it in the prophets. Do you see what I'm saying? Philip was effectively discipled in the word so he could disciple others. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. We need to be ready. Now look at what Hebrews 5 says. Now you're like, when are we ever going to get to Hebrews 5? Look at this. 
Verse 12, Hebrews 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now that is a harsh rebuke, is it not? And it fits the context, not necessarily uh, of this church, so don't think I'm necessarily saying that, that, that you guys are that way. But in the Hebrew church, in the church where this was being written to, they were questioning their salvation. And they were, they were struggling with some things. And the author says, man, by this time, and he's not being shaming them, he's saying, man, if you guys have been giving yourself to the word of God, and you've been pressing into the Lord, and he later references walking in holiness, saying that, that by, by doing, not just hearing, but by doing if you do what the Word says, you'll become strong in the Lord. You'll become mature, and you'll be able to eat meat. And he's talking about a baby becoming mature into an adult, able to handle solid foods. But he's saying, you guys are still babies, needing milk, needing someone to try to prove to you that you should do these things. And he rebukes them. And he says, by this time, you should already be teachers. Now listen, he's not talking about Every believer being the gifting of a teacher. Like every one of you should stand up here. Or every one of you should uh, lead a Bible study this, the same way. He's not talking about a style. He's not talking about a gift. He's talking about reproducing yourself. He's saying that a mature Christ follower should be able to understand the meat of the Word of God, not just intellectually, but living it. Understand that the ways of God are right because I've lived it. A mature Christ follower can look back and say, yeah, I've done what God said. Like, I've been tithing since I was 16, and dude, I've seen blessing. You sow, you reap. But see, if you don't do that, you don't see the blessing, you still need milk. You still need someone to explain to you why that, that's a good idea. But those of us who have been exercising ourselves in God's ways, we have fruit from that. And so we're ready for meat. He's not talking about just Bible study. Give me a word study, pastor. I've already heard that sermon. But are you doing it? Meat is not exegete the Greek and Hebrew. No, meat is, are you doing it? Although I like all the Greek and Hebrew stuff too. He's talking about if you're mature, you can reproduce yourself. Now what I want to challenge you is, I want to challenge you that if, if every one of us, if we knew how to journey with people, and lead them through the Bible to Jesus. Lead them to Jesus through the Scriptures. Many more people would come to know the Lord. Many more people. And the reason why is because many people are not ready to come to church. Culturally, they're not ready. Or spiritually. And they need someone to befriend them and journey with them. Now, let's say you invite someone to church. You invite them to church. They come one time. Is that it? Now, it's not my responsibility. It's the pastor's responsibility. No, it's not. Even if they come to the Lord, it's still your responsibility to shepherd them. But let's say they don't accept Jesus yet. They still have questions. They need somebody to journey with them. And I want to challenge you to take responsibility for the people that are in your world, your sphere of influence, and be ready, one, to share your testimony if you need to plant a seed, yes, to share the gospel, but what happens if they're interested in spiritual things but not ready to accept Jesus? Like, I, I really got two speeds, confrontational or quiet. 
Like, is that it? Like, you either, I share the gospel, and if they don't accept it, we're done. Like, is that it? Like, we've got two speeds as Christians? What about, like, they just need someone to show them the Bible? Like, what if, they're, what if they just need to observe, what does the Bible actually say about Jesus? What if they have questions that can only be answered by the Bible? You say, but I'm not an expert. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a professional. I've got the answer for you. You don't have to be. The Bible is. This is the beauty of doing seeker Bible studies. Now, they can be informal where you just meet with them. You can say, hey, I can tell you have questions. I'd love to journey with you. Could we just meet? Would you want to like meet? Just like talk about spiritual things? Or it could be actually formal. You could say, you know, why don't we meet for like the next few weeks and why don't we read the Bible together? Not, not because, not like, because I'm going to, and you could do this one-on-one or you could do this in a group. You can actually, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, go to people and say, hey, a bunch of us are just interested in the Bible and we were thinking, hey, let's have a Bible study. Not because we're Christian, but because it's kind of like a book club. Just wondering, what does it say? Now, I mean, you can be honest that you're a Christian, but you can say, we're just curious, what does the Bible actually say? So we're just going to take a look at the Gospel of John and see what does it say about Jesus? You'd be surprised. People who are seekers, they they want to know the Lord, but they got so many questions. If they'll just read the Bible, they'll see Jesus for who he is. And we've heard the messages so many times, we forget the humanity of the text. A lot of times, people who aren't believers, man, they just look at the Bible so black and white, so face value, it's refreshing. But they need to make those observations. They need someone to stimulate them intellectually, to really wrestle with those things. What I'm trying to say is... Okay, we got, share the gospel, invite them to church. That's all I got. We need something in between. Does that make sense? We need to be people who will come alongside and say, whether informally or formally, hey, I'll journey with you. I'll journey with you. And again, you don't even have to know how to do a seeker Bible study, but I want to challenge you. That's a skill that I think every believer needs to have. One of the reasons we do OSL and not, and have you take notes, not just for you. I'll tell you a little bit more why I do OSL later. I want to see everyone discipled, but I'm convinced we need Christ followers to go through OSL and be trained in the Word so that they'll know. If you really went through OSL and you like really wrote that, that stuff down, you can disciple somebody, guaranteed. All you got to do is take from what we taught you. But formally, you can literally say to a group of people or one person, hey, I'd love to just for a few weeks, why don't we just look at the Gospel of John? Like a book club. We'll just observe. We'll just observe and see, let's just see what's there. And you don't have to be the expert. You don't have to argue. You don't have to be the preacher. You don't have to tell them what to think. You just say, hey, what do you guys think it says? I put an example of of that in your program, and you can take a look at it later. But you ask an icebreaker question just to get everyone talking about their opinion. Then you give them a little bit of the context, you read the text of Scripture, and you just ask observation questions, similar to what we would do at a regular Bible study for us. But you just say, hey, what do you guys see? Why did Jesus say that? Why did the woman say that? You know, I gave you the example from John 4. And then you ask an application question. And I gave you an example of that. You can actually get resources online. A lot of you have done this. I've got, we'll probably interview a few of you. A lot of you have done this. Uh, Sam's doing this in a neighborhood. Uh, 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 Caitlin's done this at, at Citrus, what we call gigs. God, uh, groups investigating God, uh, groups. Uh, I've done this. Um, I know uh, uh, Annie and a number of you have done this, where you just journey with people in the Word. And I guess I'm challenging you is you don't need to be a teacher. 
You don't need to be a professional. You don't have to be my gift. You don't have to be a preacher, but a friend. A disciple who knows the word and knows the gospel and has the ability to just open it right up. You can actually take them through your own devotion and say, hey, I read the Bible every day. You want to like meet and just talk about the Bible? Or it could be very informal. Not the Bible. It could just be you and them talking about spiritual things. But hey, let's just meet. If somebody's going through a really hard time, and you come alongside and say, let's, let's just keep meeting. And I just want to tell you what God's been doing in my life. And then spiritual questions just come up. This is what Ryan Galvin did with me. He didn't even invite me to his church. He invited me to a Bible study. Church would have been good. That's not what he did. And he didn't just have the, like, my pastor will do it mentality. He had the, I'm going to journey with this guy. And he knew how to walk with me. And I'm, t- I'm telling you, I think about this, and it, it gets me, it messes me up emotionally. What if he didn't do that? What if he wasn't praying for somebody to disciple? Or what if he'd never understood the gospel himself and wanted to communicate it to somebody? What if he didn't even realize what was going on inside of me? He knew I was intellectual, had a lot of questions. He knew that I had shame and needed to really hear the gospel myself. He knew that I would fight with him about it. He knew that about me already. What if it was like, look, there it is, buddy, you know? What if that was it? What if it was like, what if he never said, let's have a Bible study? I'm not saying I wouldn't have come to Jesus, but I'll say it this way. I would not be who I am without his discipleship in my life. He absolutely led me to Jesus a certain way. He spent four plus hours with me in one night to walk me through the Bible and prove to me from the word, prove my heart, prove to my heart that God loves me wants a relationship with me, and that's why he died for me. It couldn't have just been a little bit here and there. He knew something had to come to a point. And I, what I'm challenging you is, you, at some point, you're going to have somebody in your life who might need you to do this. Maybe for a while, you just plant in seeds. Maybe you run into a stranger. You'll never do this with a stranger. Maybe, maybe, may, maybe you're just watering seed for a long time. But you don't know. There could be somebody who comes along your life who's right there now, and they could be more ready than you realize for you to just say, I would love to talk with you about these things and show them from the Bible. If he hadn't shown me from the Bible, I wouldn't have opened up my heart like that. If he hadn't have worked, walked with me through the Bible, I wouldn't have had that breakthrough. And if he didn't stick with me and disciple me the way he discipled me, I would not be the man I am today. And I think about that. We need more Ryan Galvin's to reach more people like me. Right? And we need, we need more Darren's to reach more people like Lynn. I know that's who you guys are. You guys are salt and light in your world. And the Lord is calling us not to be teachers in terms of your profession, but just give what you have. I know you have it in you. Most of you I know, and I know you know the word. Don't think, I I don't know how to reference it. Remember I told you we didn't even have an Isaiah 53 back then. You don't have to quote it. You know the Bible. I know many of you are mature and you know how to give something away. I know you do. And the Lord's challenging us but encouraging us to be ready. Amen? Stand with me and let's respond. <clears throat> We'd love to do workshops on these things and get you guys more skilled at it, but there's an example in your program and